Welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something for our 2019 project of watching every match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And once again, we are entering, so soon after the previous one, another one that would count as an or higher. My name is Lorcan Mullen, I'm your co-host for this evening, and with me as always is your other co-host... Simon Cross. Simon, what's the match we're covering tonight? Okay. Taking place on the 11th of June 2017, we are watching a rematch from six months earlier between Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega. Six months and six stars, of course. That's what happened with the previous match. The match that Dave Meltzer reckoned might be the greatest match of all time, and so he gave a record-breaking six... Well, bank-breaking, I don't know, system-rating-breaking six stars that either it did or didn't depending on who you ask only give once before to uh the misawa kawada match that currently stands as our mutual number one and obviously the collective number one of the show but the other six star match did reach my top five and actually reached simon's number two so going into this match it's fair to say expectations were high, and as far as Meltzer was concerned, not only were they met, they were exceeded. I'll give you a little summary of what Dave Meltzer says before we get into our own observations. This is from the June the June 19th dated 2017 Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega followed one of the greatest pro wrestling matches of all time with an even better sequel. A 60-minute draw, sorry, there's uh, spoilers there, for the IWGP title in the main event of the June 11th Dominion show from Osaka Joe Hall. When it was over, both men collapsed on the mat, selling complete exhaustion. It was the first 60-minute draw in an IWGP Heavyweight Championship match since a March 26, 2005 title match with Satoshi Kojima versus Manabu Nakanishi. Something tells me Dave probably didn't rate that one very close to five stars. I'll keep searching around to see if I can find what that rating was. There were three other previous one-hour draws in IWGP title matches. A March 5th, um, 2003 match with Nakanishi versus Yuji Nagata. An October 21st, 2002 match with Nagata versus Masahiro Chono. And an August 8th, 1988 match with Tatsumi Fujinami defending against Antonio Inoki. Going to a 60-minute draw with Inoki is as close as that guy gets to passing the torch on to you. Yes. You take what you get. Yeah. In a match filled with memorable moments, perhaps the best was Omega being done and Okada throwing the Rainmaker, but Omega collapsed to the ground as Okada threw and Okada missed the move and went flying. The key story of the match they were trying to tell is that Omega is the first person that Okada can't beat with the Rainmaker, as he hits him with it multiple times, but we still don't know if Okada can survive the one-winged angel. Omega hit the move once during the match, but Okada's foot was on the ropes. A 60-minute match is far riskier today when a 30-minute match seems like an eternity. 
The idea of such a match had gotten so much talk that in his pre-match interview, Omega downplayed it by saying this match would not last the nearly 47 minutes of the first one, and it was not going to go 60. Well, that makes sense from a storyline point of view. He, he backs himself, doesn't he? So he's like, well, I've learned from last time. Yeah. So I'm going to have a quick look up. God, Nakanishi doesn't even come up when I'm looking 2005 on this, <laughs> on the high-rated ones. And I think that's um, that's the thread of this match going in. It's like both men, in sort of ways, claimed victory uh, from Wrestle Kingdom. Yes. And both men want to sort of get rid of the other. They want to put the exclamation point on their claim. Akada obviously wants to keep hold of his prize. Uh but he doesn't want any doubt about who's better. He wants to put away Omega and show that he is the guy. Well, I think the significance, as you can see in the pre-match package, that it's Okada that lays out the challenge to Omega. Yes. Not the other way around. Uh, it's after his ma- his defense in between the five-star Shibata match that we recovered recently, and this match was a defense against Bad Luck Fale of the Bullet Club. And as Omega, who'd gone ringside to offer support was walking out with his then Bullet Club uh, co-member, Okada called him back into the ring to challenge him for the title. Because it's one of those things... Like I suppose it's like how um, the person that people talked about after the match was not the winner, it was the loser more, which was yeah. uh, two maybe most famous examples of that being Shawn Michaels at the WrestleMania 10 ladder match that we covered, and Stone Cold Steve Austin after the WrestleMania 13 submission match that we also covered. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the Austin one was definitely intentional, whereas yeah. this one, I, obviously, I'm not sure that was the necessary intention of New Japan. I think the intention of New Japan was to make sure both guys were, like, there. But uh, you're right, Omega got a lot more of the, of the chatter afterwards. Well, I think it's because everyone had already seen Okada in this environment. J- Omega had only been a junior heavyweight ace at that point. Uh, well, not even an ace, he'd... He'd been feuding with Kushida up to the Wrestle Kingdom of the previous year. So over just a mere 12 months, he'd ascended through, you know, and again, he was more of a, like a, a bit more like how Jay White would wrestle. There'd be a lot more outside interference and cheating in his matches with the likes of Tanahashi and Elgin. And it really wasn't until his um, G1, his first five-star match with Naito, and then the subsequent G1 Climax final with Goto that he started to really stand out as a top star within the promotion and was being pushed harder than AJ Styles or Prince David ever had been as leader of the Bullet Club. Yeah. Get to be in the Wrestle Kingdom main event for the heavyweight title at the time when New Japan is really starting the rapid um, international expansion. That we can see with the fact that this match was being covered live with English commentary uh, provided by... Uh, Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. So I want to talk a bit about Callis's uh, work in this match. It was very reminiscent. I think it's the closest we've come since then of a commentator making a very clear emotional connection to one particular wrestler. The yeah. likes that we haven't really seen since Bobby Heenan was basically the uh, cheerleader for Ric Flair in WWF and my, like, my favourite single performance of commentary being Bobby Heenan's at the 1992 Royal Rumble. You love that Rumble, don't you? I love that Rumble, and I love... I think Bobby Heenan is maybe the second main... Maybe even the first main reason I love that match so much. Um, 
but and, and so there's some of that like, but I also don't think that Callis does it to an obnoxious level but I can understand why others maybe would think that but, yeah. you know, I've had to endure Matt Stryker commentary I know what true obnoxiousness is <laughs> no there's nothing wrong with Callis's commentary here uh, just to hop back he has a li- one of my favourite calls of any match ever in this and I'll, I'll tell you when it gets, comes there just to hop back a little bit, one of the things they do mention in this, in um, link to your point about international expansion, is that the winner gets to go to Long Beach. <laughs> the winner gets to go to America as the champion, as the head of the brand. Because it's not just about the title, it's about being the guy to carry New Japan forward. Yes. Alluded to, obviously, Although I in think- Omega's package in the previous encounter they had together. But even more so here, because as at their going stateside... Although I think that was played up a lot more in the Wrestle Kingdom match than it was in this match. Mm. I think the Wrestle Kingdom match was more about is Okada going to have to be set aside and and almost the Japanese native talent ignored if you want to expand internationally. Okay, yeah. Perhaps Uh, I've worded that. Whereas I think this match was a lot more defined as these guys maybe had the greatest wrestling match of all time. Now we're going to see them go again and try and top it. Yeah. Okay, perhaps I've worded that. I think this is much more... Omega Okada than it is okay. the face of New Japan. Yeah. I don't dispute that's there, but I don't think it's played as much. Yeah, I think what sorry, what I was the point I was trying to convey, and I I did word poorly there, is obviously yes, you're right. It is alluded to more at Wrestle Kingdom, but there's a more of an immediacy to that factor in this match because they're going next month. If you see what I mean, mm. it's obviously not the main factor of the match, but that there's that in play because. It's not, oh, when's, what is the next step and where are we going? It's, we're going here at this date. Who's going to be the champ then? Mm. If you see what I mean within that little factor. But no, of course, you're right. And they do lean heavily into the internet chatter about this match. The yeah. amount of times they talk about Dave Meltzer on commentary yes. within the first five minutes. Well, Don Callis, the one quote I did uh, note was he someone saying... He made a million dollars in controversy with that statement. And he yeah. probably did up his, at the very least, his uh, Twitter followers. I would hope also his subscribers and everything else and, and, and uh, interest in him. What about um, that conversion rate? You've got to get them from the free medium to the paid medium. Yes. Well, the free medium, I think, are just people that want to, tw- to troll him. And oh, for God's <sighs> sake, Meltzer, don't engage. Um, That's but, one of my uh, biggest also, It's quite an amusing moment as well. Don Callis saying, I'd have gone seven. Well, you know. Hold that thought. Put a pin in that. Um, also, one thing that's significant as well is that this is the one-year anniversary of Okada's victory. He beat Naito at Dominion to reclaim the title that he'd lost only a few months earlier than that. And that that gets a little pre-video pre-Okada uh, entrance package. There's an there's a, there's a nice little sort of traditional Japanese uh, thing with fans, and you see images from his year mm. of defences against Marafuji, Omega, uh, Shibata, Naito, well not Naito, but maybe they include Naito because he was the person that he beat for the belt. Uh, But yeah, Shibata and Fale um, and and, and Suzuki. So he's going to, this is his sixth defence of the title going into this one. But, and he's already at this point, I think they said he just surpassed Shinya Hashimoto's uh, total number of days with the title and he's still only in his 20s at this point um, he truly has been like I said like the person like the wrestler I compare him most to Ric Flair that he is defined by this championship yes. position 
Yeah. Like I said, whilst with the Shibata one, he was like the traditional defending champion trying to weather the storm. With this one, there is clearly an element of sh- of Okada having a bit of a chip on his shoulder and feeling like he has something to prove. Mm. He has to shut down Omega because Omega's almost like the pretender of the crown. He's like seen as the the next time that they face each other, Omega will beat him. And Okada wants to just cut that off at the pass by being the one that issues. The yeah, torch. there's like a there's like a narrative outside of his control where the, the torch is about to get passed and he wants to destroy that narrative. Well, to give my movie analogy, Okada is to uh, Kenny Omega as Apollo Creed was to Rocky Balboa in Rocky 2. That it's the champion that insists on this rematch because he feels he has something to prove. Yeah. And I think that that is the thrust of this match. This match is more about... I think that the way this presents this match is that Okada is uh, still the superior to Omega. Yeah. But he can't quite get the job done at the end. Because the implication, to go all the way to the end of the match before we actually talk of the body of the match, is that Okada, if he could have got to Omega in time, he would have won this match. And it almost, especially around the heart, like the three quarters of the way point when there's talk of calling the match off because Omega can't continue. Yes. Okada in that way mimics Katsuyori Shibata in their match in that he wants to win by utterly breaking up, breaking up down and dismantling Kenny Omega. Yes. To the point he wants to destroy no, him, not There is no him. question that he is the superior wrestler and that maybe if Okada had taken the time to finish him in that moment, he wouldn't, but he has to win the right way, you know? Yeah. And I also think that Dave Meltzer, I slightly disagree with Dave Meltzer's implication that this is uh, Okada can't finish him with the Rainmaker. Because we only see the full ripcord Rainmaker twice in the match. That He hits him with a number of short Rainmakers. But as we've seen, that doesn't usually finish the match. No. He hits the ripcord Rainmaker around the 30 minute mark. And then he hits it again right at the end of this match. And it looks like that's enough to take Omega down. And, you know, two full Rainmakers were, all it t- were what it took for him to win at Wrestle Kingdom as well. Yeah, but they were back-to-back, weren't they, the full ones? No, no he kept... they weren't. No. no, but he, he hit him with some short cl- uh, Rainmakers. Sorry, the wrist control, you're yeah. right. Yeah. See, wrist control is usually like the death kill for yeah. uh, Rainmaker-wise. <sighs> it's... The thing about, obviously, it's fear of the asterisk. That, that that does for Okada in the end, you're right. He doesn't want any, like, excuses or any, like, little giveaways. But the, in the same way that you say, um, obviously, Okada had his chance to win the match, you could argue Omega did. And it was possibly the way that the official handled the match, which cost him, which leans into the Okada is the office favourite. When he does the knee breaker onto the barrier and then the knee breaker onto the table... On Okada, it's a long time before the count starts. Uh, out, you know, the count out count starts. Well, I don't know. Do the rules of New Japan say you win the title on the count outs? It seems to be that way because it's like, oh, he'll take a count out win here. Like, um, like every time the challenger has had the chance, it's like, oh yeah, he'd, he'd take a count out win here. I think you can win the title on the count out. It seems okay. very much that way. The way they but present just, it. But that's as much like. I don't recall Omega insisting that the count starts or anything. And and it's also, isn't it because he's outside the ring as well? And the count only really starts in the New Japan when, you know... One, 
guys outside the ring. Well, Possibly. it's always down to the referee's indiscretion as well. But that's as much. There's callous. no one who uses discretion better than Red Shoes. I think that's Callus's uh, paranoia wearing off on you, Simon. I would, I would advise you not to watch any Alex Jones uh, in <laughs> the future. No, but uh, it, he was out there for a long time. Mm. But it's a very cagey start at the at the beginning because it's like they both know each other, what each other can do because they both battered the shit out of each other in their other match. And o- Omega's goading Okada in the early days, in, in the early goings of the match. And they both do go for their big moves early on, but then it doesn't happen. And again, like the Wrestle Kingdom match, we don't yeah. start getting the V-triggers and the drop kicks and the Rainmakers. And that's basically like their number two and their number one arsenal, isn't it, really? For Omega... The top strike is the V-trigger, which he goes to again and again towards the end. And with Relocada, it's the drop kick, which he must hit about five or six times in this whole match. Um, like, in terms of like his full drop kick, you're right. But in terms of the number of drop kicks, I've got far more. What's brilliant about the drop kick uh, is that it's both a, an offensive move. So when he's in control, he will do it to you know claim it. But it's also a defensive move way of like changing the tide of the match in a, in the blink of an eye and we see that so much in the final quarter of the match yeah that like, he, that's how he shuts stuff down yeah to quote alice yeah well i'll, I'll call it now actually because uh, we're kind of going back and forth which i think almost is a better way of doing it than a straight linear narrative because that could make it a bit too long but when don Callis, i think the last time like in the last minute or two of the match when he hits it uh, as uh, I, this, I always say it like this way in my head whenever he hits it late on in a match. Now I hear in my head Don Callis going, "That goddamn drop kick." <laughs> he hates it, obviously. Like that's that is, but that's the thing. It's it's like Akada's muscle memory kicks in mm. every single time, and that's why he's such a big match player. Is mm. his body sort of takes over his mind? Yeah. And it's it, the reflexes, his wrestling reflexes are, are what carries him through when he's weathering storms. Because uh, some of the, like the, the knees, one of my favorite um, visuals from this match is the bit where Okada's on his knees and Kenny hits the two massive uh, V triggers oh, to him. The, the sounds. The slapping of the thighs in that moment. Yeah. I'm torn between that and Kenny's interaction with the towel when he gets hold of it. It's like some of my favourite like little visual let's, moments. Let's, let's save the towel bit for its own little mini discussion within this. Um, but yeah, like they are trying to get to each other's mind, like get play head games. Okada will still do the cocky slapping. Omega, when he gets the chance, will do little poses. But one of the things I also want to talk about now is that um, Omega, we were talking already about his herky-jerky, his physicality in the ring and his like... Yeah. His, his attempt to bring like video game physics into the world of wrestling. And I think the two best examples of that are his snap hurricane runner and his snap dragon suplex. Because he's doing moves that are all about like careful setup and thorough movements. And he gives them a quickness that is that there there are just sudden like like Okada's drop kicks or the V trigger. Like, like to combo get, breakers. To do a, to do a Dragon suplex in like the blink of an eye is absolutely incredible, and and even more so to do the runner, which obviously requires a negotiation from your opponent as well. Yeah, but just the quickness and the fluidness of the motion, uh, like like Rey Mysterio, it feels like couldn't do it any quicker than than how Omega and Okada are able to do it in this match. I'm not sure what it is, 
But like I said, like the way they describe it, the snap runner, of course, the snap suplex was something brought in by Dynamite Kid, where yeah. he just put a quickness and a suddenness into this move that you just didn't see in wrestling. It was all about, like, you know, longer delays. And I guess also, I don't know, maybe it works better if you're going by the logic of a deadlift that the opponent doesn't even have enough time to defend themselves against it. Both like, have their the moves done. The move's done before they can yeah. even think about it. Yeah, they, they they both disorientate their opponent more, but in very different ways, and they're both very different ways of displaying power. Mm. Um, I do that, that. There is something about the explosivity of explosivity. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with it, sorry. <laughs> uh, of of Omega's moves and some of the moves in this match, and you're right, the snap dragon suplex. I, I do liken it to like a combo breaker, like, like you've built up your charge bar to hit like a um, like a momentum shifting move or a game changing move, and he's just like hits the button straight away. You know, it's sort of like when Street Fighter, someone's like hit all that um, the kicks and stuff to set up like getting a bit of space and hitting like a Hadouken or something like that. I'm spouting obviously because they're button combinations, but I you know don't what I mean. Play games, so this doesn't make any sense to me. Like there's build up, uh, okay. like, like a frenzied build up, and then a quick like make the most of it, like seize the opportunity kind of thing. Mm. Um, I will go to my one criticism at this point because it's around this time after Okada uh, does a, another like I can beat you at your own game when he does when he cuts off Omega's somersault plancher that he'd done in the previous. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom that looked so awesome the way the camera was angled at a low angle and you saw him, that Okada did the same move to him but at that point Okada hurts his knee on the landing so it's like by his own desire to do a move that he's not used to doing he screws himself up he's put himself in danger so then Omega goes after that knee for for quite a while Uh, he does a, a springboard drop kick onto the knee like that's an awesome thing to do the yeah. springboard drop kick, but then to do it to such a low point as well. It's yeah, such a, I always love the drop kick to the knee as a as a move, uh, but to take it to that next level, you know that that pinpointing that that adapting a traditional move for a specific strategic reason. I yeah. love that when you can do that. Um, and like I say, he drops it on the knee on the apron, and then he drops it on the announce table where you get that extended cut cut, and then. Okada comes back in, and this was another thing that had been an issue in one of the, I think it was the Wrestle Kingdom uh, torch passing match, where Tanahashi also went to the knee, and at just some point, Okada stopped selling it. Mm. And I'm just bothered, because we just seen Michael Elgin do such an amazing job of selling the knee, and previously, like, the work that Minoru Suzuki did in his match with Tanahashi. I'm not saying that it needs to define the match, but I feel like there needs to be more in there. At the very least, you need to make a point of it getting better as the match progresses, and I didn't feel that from Okada. And again, he'd done that with Tanahashi, and like it's the minorest of minor criticisms, but it is there, and it seems to be something that Okada could do. Because he'd done such a great job selling the arm during that match with Tanahashi at the Sumo Hall, where he won the his second IWGP heavyweight title, the first five-star match between those two was rated by Dave Meltzer. Mm. I think it sort of explained away as like the emotion of the match and the adrenaline just sort of carries him to this... Yeah. They, they both... They, it's a they, weak that's... explanation. But it's sort of what how it ends up with them, though. They both go to this other place where they're just absorbing each other's, like, haymaker bombs. Mm. Um, obviously not... Uh, and even at one point, obviously, 
Omega hits his murder kill death shot, but it just happens he hits it in the wrong location. Yeah, but it's like, but it's like it's like you can do it so well in certain ways, like the way that they work a figure four in that match, and it is again like Okada tries to resist it until Okada can essentially put the trigger down of of you know applying the pressure to the bent leg, and that brings yeah. it down on the straight leg. And then Okada does the classic Ric Flair reverse, and they do like with the Ric Flair pose with the arms up in the air, trying to gain the momentum, like a trying Flair, to get the pivot like going. Flair Steamboat Barry Windham. But then Omega does the great move of rolling with it, yeah, to keep it on. But then that means they're close enough to the ropes that Omega Okada can eventually reach it after Omega had originally grabbed one of his hands to protect, prevent him from grabbing the ropes with his easy, yeah. with the easier arm to get it. So it's like you can do such great psychology, you know, like you can work that move so well, and yet what that move's supposed to be all about, which is the hurt knee, just gets ignored with a you know just not a good. I just thought even Osprey when he stopped selling it in the in the previous match, at the very least, was like shaking it off. I don't recall even seeing Okada do that. Mm. But like I said, that's the minorest of minor criticisms, and I don't like to do it, but you know what I mean? It's just... Yeah, oh no, it's, it's one of those things, if you notice that you can't it. Defined, it defined like a good chunk of the first part of the match, yeah. and it doesn't play into it as it goes on. And they wrestle it at a pace. That's one of the things I want to say as we go on to this. Like The only other match that I've seen wrestled at a pace in this series so far that's gone that long period of time was the Joshi match between uh, Manami Toyota and I want to say uh, Kyoko Inoue. Yes. Yeah. And that was just like a like a Joshi match, but they just kept going and so they were kicking out of even more big moves. Um, and there's more to it than that. There's there's like a, there's an ebb and a flow. Yeah. Um, and, and there's and... reasons why big moves are kicked out of in this. It's mainly because they can't get there. Mm. Whereas it was just like pop-ups and whatnot with the Joshi it match. It wasn't pop-ups, but it was kick-outs. Yeah, sorry, kick-outs. It kick was outs. an absurd amount of kick-outs. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I mean, there is that adrenaline rush and it's when Omega actually stops going after the knee that Okada gets back into it because he stops going for the knee and then just starts kicking him in the head and in the, fa- and in the yeah. back. And that brings Okada up and then they... Um, start doing um they have this awesome bit again it's like uh, how omega's movement is so great to watch like these sudden changes of and like how he doesn't wait to get to the ropes to spring to change up. direction he does like yeah. a baseball slide to get back into it and it's so cool and and, and and again how it's filmed from a low angle no cuts you just see this sequence of movements but he can't quite get up in time like, he's trying to get up, and because he hasn't quite got up, and it's not like he's hurt, he's just trying to get himself in the right position. And in that split-second moment, Okada's able to come in with the drop kick. Yeah. The way he can just fire that out of anywhere as well. It's like, mm. that's what makes it, as you mentioned earlier, such a great offensive and defensive move. But it's just my point, after seeing Michael Elgin, like, grad- very slowly hobbling along the ropes after being you know, having his knee targeted, for Okada to just go straight into this sprinting sequence in the ropes and it not seeming to have yeah. any noticeable effect whatsoever. Like I said, not even like that I could see, not even a shake of the leg or, or just trying to get some life back into it. Like, this is basically my own criticisms about the course of the match, but I just want to get it off my chest. Mm. It's... <sighs> I mean, as I say, I can't recall, you're right, seeing a shaking of the leg, but nor... I I didn't see it to the same extent that you did. If you see what I mean, there's times where we've both seen something. Um, and I, I don't think it, what, what you're saying really necessarily detracted 
from the flow of the match per se. Whereas obviously, if you're this... not going to factor it in, then don't do it as much. Yeah, I, I take your point. Because um, how Omega was working over the back and the neck in the previous one factored in psychologically because later on he's going for his one-winged angel that targets yeah. those moves. But, you know, he doesn't adapt it like how Tanahashi will do. Like, he's not suddenly... Even though he did do the missile dropkick to the knee, like, Tanahashi keeps that going. And it's like like you say, with, with Okada in the later stages of the match, it's the dropkick. And for Omega, it's the V-trigger. Well, maybe it should have been for Omega as much him going to the knee whenever he needed to. Yeah. Don't you mean the knee trigger? Nice. Although a V trigger to the knee, oh, that was the sound to get off that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But again, just Omega's physicality and athleticism is on display. And like I said, it's that topping. It's like the whole thing about Omega's philosophy is to take wrestling to a new place and just to push things further. And so, like one of the great examples of that is him doing the Asai moonsault to the outside instead of doing the traditional move as invented by Ultimo Dragon to do it from the second rope. He does the leap to the top, and then flings and, and off Kevin from there. Kelly gives a really good explanation of his physics. Like for a split second, he's falling forward, which I think when guys like Sabu do that, they're not able to adjust. Correct. They make the correction, and so they just fall forward and have to awkwardly try and do it again. That's the balance that comes from phenomenal core strength. Yeah, and o- Omega does look like in- incredible. Like even like he looks like he's bulkier. He's added the weight, which is a it, yeah. which is another factor in the match. It's like like he, like he knocks down Okada in an early shoulder block, so yeah. it's like he has the strength advantage. This guy who was only a year and a half ago a junior heavyweight has the strength advantage. He hits his pump handle netbreaker at one point in the match, and like that's pointed out as a move that he wouldn't have necessarily been able to. He wouldn't have gone for, or wouldn't have been able to do quite so well before yeah. without this extra fifteen pounds of elite muscle, as yeah. Callis refers to it as. So Omega's control in this portion of the match is almost like a greatest hits compilation from all of his moves in Wrestle Kingdom. Like he hits everything that he hit that time, like uh, gut wrench power bombs and pump handle backbreakers and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we get into a sequence that references the, uh, the the top rope dragon suplex. Yeah. Which fortunately they don't try to top. <laughs> um. I don't really know how you want. I know how you could, but I know you shouldn't. It looks like he's first going for a top rope power bomb, which would have been an awesome move, which was like one of Chris Benoit's moves and when he was in ECW and New Japan at the time. Uh, ok- Okada blocks that, and then it looks like he's going to go for the dragon suplex, uh, like like last time, but o- Okada evades that, knocks him to the apron, so he just does an apron Death Valley driver. Oh, so so brutal as well, because it's all of his spine landing on the apron. But it's also a lot more safer move than doing another top rope dragon superplex oh yes yes so i like i also like that there is no point in this match like that that spot is avoided and then when we get the table spot after this which is again a call back to the previous event when he does the the backdrop and you have catches himself omega's flailing arms and everything this is a more controlled version of that where they're fighting in the corner Uh, they're fighting for it and uh, uh, like Okada does set him up to well, it's funny Omega does the run towards him that you're ex- like, and the audience knows like that was what happened before Omega got backdropped yeah. out. But then he avoids the backdrop. He like lands on the apron, and it ends up with Okada setting him up on the table and hitting a top rope elbow. So it's more protected. It's, it's still dangerous, but it's not as wild as o- Omega's fall through the table in the previous event so I did like that they didn't top themselves there 
yeah. by an even more dangerous part. And it's quite, and again, I am the table. It doesn't break, but boy, does it crack a lot. And it doesn't crack again, all the way either. Got, well, it's because it's got that much stronger, like, support underneath. Like, yeah. those legs have been designed to hold a table. And so, uh, and that's what got me so scared with the way that uh, Omega took that bump before that he could so mm. easily have just landed within the framing of the uh, legs. It, yeah, it, the metal frame goes all the way around, which yeah, it doesn't yeah. do with no. tables. Or western tables, I should say. Mm. It's just, oh god, there's, there's no way you can make landing on that a good, uh, you know, there's, no. There's, no, there's no good part of that to land on. No. Um, but, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, uh, sorry. We do, see, we do see a lot more, like, um, their interaction with the environment yeah. is a lot more brutal than oh, the yeah, last. When, uh, when, when Okada does his running shotgun drop kick on the outside and Omega just goes flying into the rail. Um, but even before then, when he does his over-the-barrier crossbody, he, he, he lands on a barrier yeah. with Omega. Uh, and the Omega does a great V-trigger um, into the turnbuckle at one point, which just looks horrid. Even though it's a fully padded corner, it just looks horrible. Oh, oh, so at that point, after the top rope elbow, when they go back into the ring, Okada does the Rainmaker pose. Now we're going into what seems like the finishing sequence, and we're like only at the halfway point, half, half, yeah. half point. But it feels like maybe this is coming towards the end, and instead we get a new like added layers of epicness as it goes on but um omega does hit that like like a tomohiro ishii kind of superplex where he gets a like a real high vertical thing but he's also got the legs folded i don't yes. know what the name for that move is but it's not <clears throat> it's not as dangerous as it looks almost because mm. it's it basically a traditional superplex yeah i don't yeah it is basically and he's just he's adapting it to a target the legs mm. As but, like a callback. But like I said, because the Rainmaker's coming into play, now we're starting to see, like I said, we haven't seen any V-triggers, but now Okada dodges a V-trigger. Then he goes for a German suplex. Uh, Okada goes for a German suplex, which is very often his setup for the Rainmaker. Omega ev- evades that. I think he lands on his feet, possibly. I can't remember. Yeah, he does, because then he immediately hits his V-trigger. And so it's like, whilst Okada going for the Rainmaker poses a sign that we're on the next stage, well, you know, Omega hitting his number two move. The yeah. trigger is like, okay, the big moves are coming out. Even bigger moves are coming out now. There could be a finishing sequence along the way. Yeah. And like you say, it's trades of rever- reversals at this point that ends with a really awkward high-angled German suplex I don't think went the way it was intended. So Okada holds on with another German suplex and hits his first Rainmaker. And that could have been the finish. In many other Okada matches, it would be the finish. Yes. Like, if this was the AJ Styles match, this would probably be around the time it finishes. But Omega does manage to kick out. And so it's like... Uh, and then we get uh, the awesome bit where uh, Okada goes for his drop kick and Omega, like with the previous match with Kushida, a mid-air reversal. Into he the powerbomb. He leaps into the air and puts him into a powerbomb. Which is incredible. The way he moves him around into position so like, quickly. He lands with his legs on the arms to hold him down for the pin. Just great technical ability. There's just no two ways about it. Mm. He's, uh... Again, that comes back to the explosiveness and his core strength as well. It's like, we, we, because they're both doing it 
so flawlessly. It's mm. it's some sometimes you forget the sheer level of athletic ability they need. If you see yeah. what I mean, you sort of get so so sewn up in what they're doing, you don't take that moment to think, Christ, they must be like elite level athletes. If you pardon yeah. the pun. What it's like when you know you just got to watch a botchamania to see how hard it is to do a springboard or to do any kind of thing, you know? Yeah. To do a drop kick, some people can't do drop kicks. Just look up Eric Watts trying to do a drop kick <laughs> and see what a drop kick truly is. But now it's at the point where Okada seems to have just gone to this next level that Omega can't quite keep up with because they do a reversals, Snapdragon turned into a Rainmaker, turned back into a Snapdragon, but again Okada hits a drop kick. Sends Omega to the outside, and that's when he does the elbow through the table um, spot. And sends him back into the ring and hits that missile drop kick, and he hits that. Um, and then the question is, at this point, can o- Omega continue? Yeah. Um, and um, I'm trying to read this note now. Something has nothing. He reads like purples has nothing, but that's not what it real. <laughs> So, so we do have to talk about obviously the point where it looks like Omega can't continue, because then that's the bit where. Um, well, like I say, Okada's insisting on it going up. Like he pulls up Omega up to do short, short rainmakers. Yeah, and that's when Cody turns up with a towel, and this is where we get into you know again. This is where you, you it was like this is where you get you when you watch being the elite comes yeah. into play because it's about Cody trying to usurp. Omega from within, yeah, and it's not like they trust him and they don't know that might be on his mind, you know. Mm. And what's brilliant with this is he brings out the rest of the Bullet Club at that point, and so the young, so like the elite who've been this group within the Bullet Club, like now it's becoming a bit more of a you know pronounced divide. It's like a Labour conference vote <laughs> or something at the moment. Because <laughs> is Cody truly worried about Omega's welfare, and he's the one that can see the truth, and the others can't? Yeah, or is it the fact that he won and everyone else in the Bullet Club won tonight? But he's there's a great way of highlighting the fact that Omega, oh, he didn't win his match. Oh, power, like you know, it sets up the power struggle a bit more. Oh, that's it. Punches have nothing because Omega's trying to punch Okada in the stomach, but there's no weight behind it. There's no force in it at all. So it's like, like that, when... is he just is, is his energy bar at empty yeah. to to get into the nice. gaming culture? Uh, yeah, it just looks like a toddler when they're trying to like have a strop, mm. almost. That's the level of like strength he's got. Mm. But this allows a distraction that's long enough for o- Omega to make a recovery, and maybe also he's noticed that the white. Well, I think there is like a white towel at least in the ring at this point. Yeah, it does get the because... towel does get into the ring. I can't yeah. remember how. Yeah, because uh, Cody. Uh, yeah, so because uh, that's that's I said that's. Omega... My... Because it looks like Okada's gonna like no, he's losing this way, so he's got him ripcore V trigger, a ripcore rainmaker. But Omega then just hits this flurry, like you say, and he kicks away the rainmaker clothesline, hits a V trigger, reverse Rana, and like then I think he grabs. Then they both kind of have a bit of fun with the towel, like yeah. they both sort of wash themselves with it, and you know, the, the, it's just kind of, no one's going to sell this except us two. Yeah. How angrily, like, Omega dabs himself with that towel as well. It's just so... Such... Yeah. With his facial expressions, it just it's, it's just brilliant. Um, and I love how the Bullet Club are all now slapping the mat, except for Cody. Cody's, like, looking on in awe, or, or you know, but is it also like, oh, man, how am I going to try and... Like, oh, how am I going to explain work. this one in the locker room afterwards? Yeah. 
And it's also like another great visual with the Bullet Club is they're all in their shirts and there's uh, Cody in his waistcoated suit and everything. Yeah. Like, am I the only one that's a professional around here? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm setting a standard. Mm. Do you not dress for dinner? Because I dress for dinner. That sort of thing. Mm. But <sighs> yeah, then it's the key of this, like, it's hitting that, you know, Omega's going, trusting the V-trigger and everything around it and trying to get the one-winged angel. And Okada's relying on, and also the Snapdragon suplex, and Okada's relying on the the drop kick and trying to hit the tombstone when he can. So it's like those three key things. Like, can Omega hit a V-trigger? Can he hit a Snapdragon? Can he hit another combination of moves within there? And then finally go for the one-winged angel. And a, a, similarly, Okada, his big guns are the drop kick, the tombstone pile driver, and the rainmaker. Mm. Oh, and, the, and and you're right. Look, this is all about. That's just those moves left now. Basically, it's like that. It's just haymakers only from this point on. Mm. Just swinging at each other with ev- with reckless abandon. And again, it's so great that they've got these multiple backups for blocking or reversing the other one's finisher. Like Omega can, you know, sometimes he'll kick away at the arm. Sometimes he'll do a V trigger from the from the Rainmaker position. Yeah. Um, Whereas Okada can either like flip out of the one wind angel, he can like slip down and go for a German or go for the ripcord. Turn it into a tombstone pile driver by shifting weight and, and position. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like Omega hits a V trigger, goes for the one winged angel, but Okada lands on his feet. But then Omega immediately follows up with a V trigger, and so then he does get the one winged angel with an additional part of he knows how Okada's going to try and get out of it. So he grabs the risk, so he gets risk control. Yeah. So it's not a perfect um one winged angel. Perfect one winged angel. He's had to shift and adjust it just to keep Okada in place, and like you say. It's the height and the position of it all that allows him to just rock, like put that foot on the ropes and, and a red shoe just plays it so perfectly as well. That is perfect refereeing, you're right. Like, and I think it's almost like, I, I wonder if it's because he's aware of how the posi- camera's positioned, because logically he should be looking at both of the shoulders and like the far shoulders far away from him. Yeah. You know, but it's the right one for the visual of the camera where you've got the, you know, you've got Okada and Omega in the middle, you've got red shoes to the right, and to the left you've got the empty space of the ring ropes, and you see Omega, Okada's leg. And it's yeah. like, and it's played in that, like, Okada does, it's not like a fluke. Like, Okada does know that that's his only way of getting out, and it's like... Well, he's put it on there from the start, because mm. Red Shoes doesn't catch it until, like, the two mark, does he? Mm. But it's well, there. No, yeah, but his legs don't go. His legs don't go into the ropes until that two mark as well. He's not in the ropes immediately. He's in the ropes before. He, uh, he's not. It's not as a case of his foot just just goes into the ropes before Red Shoes catches it. Though the, the foot is there. No, no, no. The foot doesn't go into the ropes until midway through the two counts. I <laughs> promise you, that's the case. I'm not too sure. No, on... no, there's no way because otherwise the crowd wouldn't be counting along. They would know that his foot's in the rope. Yeah, I don't know. I'd... I might be misremembering. It. You're you right. You are misremembering. I might be. You are misremembering it. Son. Exactly, I might be. No, you are misremembering it, and I can't wait for you to get the emails pointing that out. <laughs> and now we get to probably maybe a lot of people's favourite spot in the entire match, where Omega thinks he's got Okada right where he wants him. Does the bullet pose, the bang shoots, 
And so Okada's like, you're going to bring your arm out in front of me. All right, I'll just grab your wrist and rainmaker you. Yeah, just, that's just brilliant. It's just and like, it's okay. Don Callis in commentary saying, you're taking too much time. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> oh. So again, they're like, they're, you do these great moments of double downs and they get back up and then we get like, you know, it's a New Japan match. You've got to have a forearm off. Oh, yes. And one thing I will say from this and like the Shibata match and everyone, everything else, no one does a better crumbling to the mat than Okada, I think. Oh, yeah. No one does a sudden loss of weight, you like strength in your legs. Because and... he sort of collapses forward and then to the yeah. side. Like a tree that catches another tree when it's like cut mm-hmm. down. And so Omega, like, this is another opening. And like you say, he's looking for that combination. Snapdragon. But again... Instead of Okada using it for an attacking mode, it's for a defensive mode to, like, ward off of Omega. He hits that drop kick, And uh, then they do another forearm exchange that brings o- Omega down to a knee. Yeah. Um, and then I think... Um, I think Omega- Okada hits him with two standing knees. That re- like, I think one sends Okada... Again, like, Omega does that great flying away yeah. across the ring when he gets hit with it. Uh, but then we have one of my favourite visuals, again, just showing how good the camera work is when Omega gets returns control, when he gets Okada into the corner, and he does a corner-to-corner V-trigger. Oh, you that... see him just as a little image in the fast corner of the screen. Yeah. It seems like halfway across the ring, he gets into the leaping position. Seems to have, like, Michael Jordan-esque hang time. And then the like, he's just got that knee sharpened and ready. Yeah. Sort of it almost like he's he's found a way to slow motion action replay his move whilst he's doing himself. It. Yeah, again, it plays into the video game nature of Okada. Mm. And uh, Okada Omega, sorry. And like at that point, he goes for one winged angel. And again, Okada's got the variety of finishers, uh, reversals. He does the tombstone. He does that scream of energy, which was what he did just before he was able to put away Tanahashi, I think. Yeah. And then before he did it to Omega as well. So again, it's like subliminally, if, even if people haven't studied it, they kind of feel like, and this is where we get the spot that, that uh, Dave Meltzer has already referenced. And again, that sign of Okada having to get the perfect victory and it being his undoing. Mm. He goes for a Rainmaker and literally o- Omega doesn't have the energy to stand up. And he falls to his knees, so he accidentally reverses it. Yeah. And it's like, is Okada also expending like his last lot of energy with this move that he thinks is definitely going to win it and he's going to get that victory and there's no more questions anymore. And instead, it's like, you, maybe there wouldn't have been any questions if you pinned him after the tombstone because he's out. Yeah. But now Okada's like expended all of his energy. So And he's sort of out a little bit because he drags him up to get him into another tombstone. To like yeah. just go, while it worked before, let's do it. Let's do the same one again. Um and it's sort of not until he starts trying to actually hit the tombstone that Omega seems to wake up and then clutch onto his leg, yeah. get his leg wrapped round. Like he's regaining like... consciousness yeah. at this point. And so like you say, they're fighting for leverage and Omega like hits a flurry of elbows. And then he does those hard knees to a to a down on his knee, Okada, that you already mentioned. And the sound of the thud. I can't do it justice, really. It's just such a... It's such an incredible sound. I don't know how they do it, to be honest. I think he must slap his knee pad in just yeah. the right place. It's just simple beauty. There's no, there's no other word I can use to describe it. It's just beautiful. And he does like a long build. And like I said, in those ones, you think 
and they like subvert your expectations because you do watch these matches so much and he builds it so much you think well Okada's gonna have a reversal for this and then when he does yeah. hit the V trigger it's like oh my god this might be it and he goes for the one winged angel again Okada escapes slides off the back and then again hits the drop kick for that shifting of momentum to the back of Kenny Omega's head and then he gets the spinning tombstone what's interesting is that he goes for a pin off of a German suplex yeah and Kelly does a great call. A bridge at this point? Because you already know that like they're past the 55-minute point at this stage. Um, and, like, yeah, and then you get a small package, so it's, like, these unusual ways of pinning. It's, like, both men know that there's nothing left. Maybe they've, like, literally run out of ideas. So Okada's like, I don't know, a German suplex? And Omega's like, I don't know, a small package? Small package? <laughs> Just try it. Just try anything. Just throw something out there. And again, Okada like keeps going to those drop kicks. It's so funny. Like now, it, I just remember when Scott Steiner did like fifteen belly to belly suplexes to Triple H in a match at the Royal Rumble, and it was seen as like the height of him not knowing what he was doing and not having an idea what he was doing. Whereas you can do it like, and now you get it with Brock Lesnar just like doing ten German suplexes, and it worked within the John Cena match where it was like this thorough dissecting, like a like a Katsuyori Shibata. Yeah. Like an utter dismantling of someone, but now it's just like a contrived. It's it's to set up a suplex city chant and sell more t-shirts, you know. Yeah, I mean the Brock Lesnar match I saw live against mm. uh, Ambrose, uh, they actually had on the big screen a count along oh, with the gym and suplexes. Obviously, on that massive Dallas Cowboys ninety yard screen as well. So it's just like, for God's yeah. sake. I, d- I doubt that New Japan will ever have a drop kick meter or a V trigger meter. Yeah. So like, it's not like doing, doing, re- relying on your moves because it's like you know, you know, it's just like how Ric Flair just went for his chops, or you know, it's all right. Yeah, but they never. The thought of a chop count is just like, oh, you yeah. know, just just a bit grim, just a bit dirty. Mm. But yeah, just that desperation. But there is always that sense. I think that throughout the whole time, because they hadn't wrestled that pace of a sixty-minute match, like like. Even though I know it wasn't a 60-minute match, you could see when Ric Flair was going long in like the first Barry Windham match. Like You saw the same key spots. There were just a lot more... Paced out. Yeah, and there was a lot more in-between stuff. of Like, like mm. you know, it's slower to apply the figure four. The figure four's in there longer, you know. Yeah. The headlock on the mat, the headlock on the mat maybe takes 20 seconds to get up from instead of 10 seconds. They haven't wrestled that pace at all. And, you know... It's absolutely incredible, like, the cardio these guys have. And so there is still that sense of, we could get a finish, but it is really, like, it's it's Omega holding on at this point. And yeah. I think most of the second half has been about Omega holding on. And the Okada seems to be the better man tonight, but he can't finish it. Because, like I said, it's like the Shibata match. He wants to finish it the right way. And so... His obsession maybe, costs him a little. Yeah, yeah, well, it does. And and so when he does finally hit that Rainmaker, like I said, the, only the second full Rainmaker, he can't reach Omega in time when we get the 60 minutes, but Omega's not moving. Yeah. So it is like it's that visual of... Usually with the 60 minutes, it's like Ric Flair's bacon being saved at the last minute, like when he's in a... Like, it went to 45 minutes, but when, like when he did the Clash of the Champions match with Ric Flair, it was him in the Scorpion Deathlock at the end of the yeah. 45 minutes. Usually it is the, like, the defending champion that's holding on. Or, or at least the person he's supposed to be rooting for is holding on, you know? Yeah. I guess other people would probably throw back at me the Shawn Michaels-Bret Hart Iron Man match. 
And that is true, but that's also the submission hold. Mm. Like, um, like I said, like it's that sense of if this match had been a no time limit, Okada was probably about to win it. Yes. Samoa Joe CM Punk match. It's Samoa Joe, you know. And if you're a true champion, you should be able to beat everyone. So it's like he's through his own not hubris, but through his own desire to get rid of the previous asterisks of. You know, you won that match, but Omega stole the show. Yeah. This one is, well, you could have won the match, but we don't know for certain that you would have because yeah. the time limit expired. So he still got... Uh, Omega is the asterisk in his career, which ironically is also the substitute for a star in um, in <laughs> on, on, read, on writing, you know? In so writing, no yeah. star on your keypad, on your keyboard. Yes. <sighs> so that was the match. It's it's a, it's an experience. It's it's fantastic. Um, is it better? Well, I don't know. Do we want to give that away because we both got it in our top fives? Okay, we've got the first one in our top five. Yeah. So if we give it away, then yeah, exactly. We don't want to sell the farm. Um, is it five stars? Yes, absolutely. I'm not. I I wouldn't give anything six and a quarter stars because I you know I don't even you know. We've we've covered this too many times, and I think we, we we repeat ourselves there. But just I don't believe in six and a quarter star rate. I don't think that can even exist. Yeah. But that's up to Dave Meltzer, and that's Dave Meltzer's way of saying this might be this is better than the best match of all time. Yeah. So this is the new best match of all time. But it's like not of a like noticeable step up almost. Like it's only a minor improvement upon it. Mm. But at the very least, the, they didn't leave people disappointed. No. This wasn't like the 1997 Masawa Kawada match. That we oh, had. I felt so let down. It's so strange that we keep on going on about that match like it's bloody terrible. Like, yeah, like it's uh, <laughs> like it's uh, a Shane McMahon against Elias or something like that. Ugh. You know, it's not. It's no, no. It's far from it. You're quite right, but this is it. We, we, we're being spoiled, and, yeah. and we do labour that point a lot. But we really are. Um, I don't know what else to say at this point, other than it's a, it's a clearly at this point a rivalry for the ages, and there's an epic story being told, and so this is clearly only chapter two of a longer narrative that we yeah. get. But it doesn't feel like that throughout. It's only at the end that you realise there's more to come. You know what I mean? They're yeah, not. It's yeah. not like setting their table. Yeah, you could have believably seen this as being Okada vanquishing Omega, and Omega will have to live to fight another day. Or and, and so, Omega like, winning and putting, yeah, taking yeah. his taking the torch. And even at the fifty-eight minute mark, you thought that could happen. Yeah, which, like I said, there's a grim inevitability with some time limit draws. Oh, sometimes yeah. you know. Yeah, like you know, as soon as the bell rings, sometimes. Well, there was one in Ring of Honor that got really shat upon as it became very obvious that it was going to be sixty minutes. Um, yeah, sometimes it's a cowardly way of. Not having either guy. Well, we said it for that um, Misawa Kawada, uh, Misawa Kabashi Kawada Tawe match. One of the few ones that we didn't rate that highly. Yeah, because it was basically them doing that, and we were saying sometimes you got to bite the bullet because a sixty-minute match doesn't help anyone in this. Yes, no. it didn't help this match at all. Whereas this, it plays into the story. Like I said, like what was a minor blemish for Okada the first time because he did win the match. I mean, you know. He didn't get utterly owned by Omega like Shibata did to it. Yeah. Um, at this point, what was a minor asterisk, like if you were to give it a font size, it would be four. 
this is a font size of 12 or something, yeah. you know? The, the doubt grows. You felt you had to prove something to by challenging him for another match at your belt. You couldn't get it done. Get You couldn't get rid of that mark again on you. Yeah. So you've just drawn attention to it is all you've yeah. done. And therefore his legend grows and he's more of a problem now. But like I said, I think this match did more for Okada than it did for Omega. Because mm. it gave him this motivation within the storyline. Because Omega's just got the basic one. I want the belts. And I want to take over as the face of the company. Okada, like like with the Tanahashi match at the Wrestle Kingdom, he has this extra thing on top of it. I want to have the best title reign. And you know I want to be the true champion and for there to be no questions. Yeah. And he almost got it, and it just evaded him at the end. And it's just one of the things he's just got to learn to... Well, he's got to try and deal with another day. Mm. But he's, he's survived on the flip but side. But Omega doesn't have lose. the rights. But Omega doesn't really have the right to challenge again. He's had two chances. He lost the first time. He looks like he was going to lose the second time. Yeah. You know? And he doesn't challenge for a long time. But we'll get to that at another date. Uh, it's just it's five stars and there's nothing much more left to say Simon let's try and get this done before we reach the 60 minute time <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you how can they do so uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter I'm so known as Simon Cross free uh, free for the amount of times in this match I, I just actually lost track of what I was doing and had to look down at my notepad to remind myself there was a reason I was watching this not just caught up in the moment my name is Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the end of Osaka, and N for the end of Dominion, which was Ooh. the event that we were at, the New Japan equivalent of SummerSlam. So they got to main event WrestleMania and SummerSlam, basically. But anyway, uh, if you put an at gmail.com at the end of that, that's my email address. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd on that. Uh, buy my book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, if you want to like read even more than an hour's worth. <laughs> of of my thoughts on wrestling uh, you can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com lmtyspod is also our twitter handle uh, if you want to get in touch with us um, uh, give us a like on facebook subscribe to us through whatever means you can rate the podcast on your podcast apps because that really does help us get the listeners and get more attention in the you know sea of messages in bottles that is pro wrestling based podcasts <laughs> Uh, I have a movie-based podcast, uh, another a bad movie-based podcast, which is another not particularly unique selling point. But that's best of worst of British Bowl Pod. Look up for us at uh, various places through those two means. What are we doing for our next match? So we've got a little self-contained trilogy now of don't be surprised, New Japan matches. Oh. What are we watching first? Well, variety is the spice of life, you're right. And that's why we're staying with New Japan. We're at the G1, <laughs> uh, which is obviously a five-star generator in of itself. Mm-hmm. The particular variant we're seeing is... We are seeing Hiroshi Tanahashi. A for us, but of two regular... Yes, and it's the hair battle. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on Tatsuya Naito in a battle of the most gorgeous Barnet in wrestling. Well, that's something to look forward to. But until then, there's nothing left to say except my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Find some way to have a six and a quarter star time 
until the next time.